All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Driving the Allergy. This is Mike. I'm going to have to have the air conditioner on just a little bit. <coughs> Excuse me, a frog in my throat. And we are uh, going on our weekly journey uh, through the country out to where I teach on Wednesdays. Uh, teach and hang out with you guys. <laughs> uh, last week, sorry, I haven't uh, posted uh, from last week because in the middle of the podcast, uh, I ran out of batteries. I did re-record. Wow, re-record, that's a mouthy word. I did re-record the podcast on the way back, but I just haven't gotten around to posting it, sorry. Uh, I'll try to get that on. Um, usually those podcasts are not quite up to snuff because uh, the way this works best is when I'm not trying to remember you know, uh, anything super specific, but it's more like a stream of consci- consciousness. Uh, kind of thing, and that's how it works best. Um, but I did record it, and I, I will try to get it up um, onto uh, SoundCloud and iTunes as soon as I can. <laughs> Powder don't need. So yeah, it's kind of a blustery day. We've got, it's really weird, we've got sun coming in from the east. It's about 9.20 in the morning. Sun coming in from the east, and then uh, we've got this kind of, uh, what do you call it? When it? It's not sprinkling, it's kind of misty rain, I guess the best way to put it. Coming in, and then it's completely dark and cloudy out to the west. Um, so it's just this weird day of kind of... Nice weather and horrible weather all at the same time. Typical, uh, probably, for the uh, rainy season, which we are deeply in. Looked at the podcast the other day, and it was a... uh, Sorry, podcast. Uh, Not the podcast. I looked at the uh, weather forecast uh, for the week, and it gives you about nine days. And it was solid raining and or thunderstorms for nine days. Uh, which is, which does happen from time to time here in Japan. This is the second time it's happened in the month where we have almost a solid week of that kind of weather. Gets kind of tough. You got to find ways to keep yourself out of a, out of the funk. If you're like me, and you are um, very much affected by um, getting kind of down in the dumps because of the. Uh, Lack of lack of sunshine and nice weather. I uh, credit that to living too many years in the Southwest, where uh, pretty much sunshine was the default. Didn't matter the season. Um, now, some people in the Southwest who have never lived anywhere else may think that I'm wrong about that. But hey, I, I uh, would say you know go live in the Northwest or live in Japan or live somewhere, you know, close to a rainforest or whatever, you'll see that rain uh, is uh, a very common occurrence (laughs) and humidity that comes with it. Um, 
Just give you a little coffee check. Uh, I am drinking some, what was it, Guatemalan? I think that was roasted some time ago with some leftover coffee. Mm, it was uh, kind of dark roasted. I didn't actually roast this one, my partner did. She said she was roasting it to uh, test it, see if it worked for iced coffee. It's kind of gone flat now, but you know, <clears throat> coffee is coffee. <laughs> it was freshly ground this morning anyway, so it's coffee. And actually, this is my first cup today, so I may keep sipping. Yeah, so just an update on the world. Uh, it continues to fall apart, seemingly, uh, at every possible seam. <clears throat> um, Black Lives Matter is gaining traction, I would say, and has achieved longevity to the point where I would say we're looking at almost a, you know, the possibility of a permanent presence in, in our new world. Uh, that's what it feels like. It doesn't any longer feel like a movement. Uh, it feels like an addition to our lives. Um, people are desperate, desperate for change. Um, and it does seem like there's the best chance I've ever seen in my lifetime that it'll, it will happen in a positive way this time. Maybe that's just my, you know, bright and sunny disposition and uh, um, optimism. But I, it really feels different. I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, feels a little bit like a, a painful jubilee is coming. Painful for those who are unwilling to admit uh, any kind of... Uh, culpability or uh, responsibility uh, it will be painful for for, for those people uh, if indeed this this uh, um, sorry I'm just waiting for traffic uh, this revolution comes right if 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 black lives matter and all of the other uh protest groups, is that the wrong word? Um, act activists. If if we all are able to achieve the ground that, that we're looking for, uh, then, then indeed those who have doubled down, those who have uh, made, uh, made their bed in the wrong camp, uh, are going to have a really hard time with this. Um, and and the and I think the only way to be you know for you to be transformed is to just be honest with yourself, relax, open your mind, look around you, find out who the hurting people are, uh, find out why they're hurting as much as you can, you know, go to the source of their hurt, uh, and see where you end up. Um, it, it's not an easy answer. You know, this guy, uh, 
uh, who basically um, is is one of these people who is doubling down, who's who's digging his, you know, digging his trench, you know, preparing to stay for a long time. Uh, speaking metaphorically, because this all happened on Facebook, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I had a little um, exchange with him yesterday, and as well as several other people, and basically he denies uh, systemic racism. Uh, he considers himself a victim of racism, though he's white. He's apparently done time uh, for a crime. He says, you know. Of course, he didn't commit. And then while in prison for seven years, he experienced uh, racism from blacks, uh, other inmates. Um, so, um, <clears throat> from his perspective, there is no systemic racism anyway. I don't want to speak for him. But at one point, he's, you know, I'm like, can I recommend a book? And I said, you know, you should read The New Jim Crow by uh, Michelle Alexander. Uh, I think it explains a lot. And he's like, well, will you read uh, Blackout by Candace Owens? And I was like, are you making a deal with me? I said, fine, I'll read Blackout by Candace Owens if you will read the New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. And then nothing, nothing, nothing. He ignores what I say. Uh, ignores the post for a while. Uh, and then I said, okay, I'll, I'll take the first step. So I ordered, uh, I pre-ordered on Audible Candace Owens' book, uh, Blackout. Of course, Candace Owens is a black woman uh, who does not support Black Lives Matter. Um, <clears throat> she's basically put herself against the majority of uh, her black brothers and sisters um, and with uh, white Republicans mostly um, so anyway after I ordered the book he comes back and says what are you talking about I didn't make no deal I'm not going to read that book So, uh, few people, few people, very few people are willing to risk having their mind changed by listening to and reading people of uh, opposite opinions <clears throat> because they're so darn sure of themselves. I want to say that it was, oh, who was it that came up with the tyranny of certainty? Uh, could have been Greg Boyd, uh, could have been Brian Zond, but so many people are so sure of themselves um, that they they have this tyrannical, tyrannical certainty um, about them uh, that does not allow for any conversation or um, entertaining of opposite views at all. 
um, they are sure of themselves. <coughs> Sorry, coffee went down the wrong pipe. <laughs> That's not good. <coughs> Excuse me. So, yeah, the, the, the tyranny of certainty is something we all should be aware of uh, because what it does is basically assures that we will never grow. Because, fact number one, none of us have all the truth. Okay, that's a fact. None of us have all the truth. And therefore, number two, uh, we can all get closer to the truth. But if you are being oppressed by this tyranny of certainty, then you don't believe there is any other truth out there. Therefore, you cannot grow and will stay where you're at. Um, this is a this is a disease that affects lots and lots of people, and I would say probably uh, affects everyone sometime or another. This uh, tyranny of certainty. Ah, go back, go back, go back. Totally didn't see that big old truck. It was barreling towards me. But we made it. So, yeah, so what happens is this guy doubles down, he digs his trench, um, he uh, uh, gets in there and, and basically just takes pot shots at everybody else who's trying to talk him out. Um, keeps spouting the same rhetoric. I should say regurgitating what everybody else is saying. Uh, and he's just decided he's not going to move. He's like that pouting child uh, that has decided he's not going to breathe until he gets his ice cream. It's not a healthy thing, but, you know, there are kids that do that. Um, these people are the most frustrating because they don't... They almost never... Uh, allow you to know at the outset that they are so um, invested, so heavily invested, that their their identity is so heavily invested in this uh, opinion that that literally nothing could move them from it, and it sucks because then you waste a lot of time. Uh, you know, trying to talk reasonably to a person who has, who has uh, already, you know, locked up his heart and threw, threw away his key. Uh, the tyranny of certainty is real, um, and anyone with any opinion around such a person uh, is is basically constantly in danger of being attacked. Uh, verbally, at least. Uh, of course, this is what leads to war. The tyranny of certainty definitely leads to war, where we we um, believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that uh, X, Y, and Z must happen, or else. And then the other people believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that X, Y, and Z must not happen. 
and then the or else comes, right? And that's war. And that is war. <clears throat> now, I'm not saying that there isn't often a false pretext for war, that people just want to go to war, and therefore they come up with a very unreasonable demand just to make sure that both sides engage in a war. This does happen as well. Um, this is the worst kind of conspiracy um, because it costs uh, human lives. And generally, the people who engage in these conspiracies uh, live well before and live well after. But it's the people that have bought into their their false pretext uh, and their their false uh, sense of nation, right? Um, who pay the biggest price? Who pay the ultimate price? War is not fight, fought by the people who make war. Should be. I mean, they should be on the front lines. They're the ones who should, you know, put their put their body where their mouth is. Um, but they're not. Ever. <clears throat> uh, yeah. So, lots of people uh, double down, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the, a lot of people who play devil's advocate have been labeled as people who double down. That's also not quite fair. I think we need people to challenge our views, no matter how righteous they are, because again, none of us have the none of us have the absolute truth. This much is obvious. There's a lot <clears throat> I don't like about um, Black Lives Matter and and the way that they are doing things, but I believe in my heart of hearts that Black Lives do matter. That that to some people, black lives don't matter as much as, it, as much as they should, which is the same as your own life. Uh, but this is the time to fight that battle. This is the time to make that stand. Um, everything points to the timing, right? Uh, maybe it's because the country is so vulnerable right now that we can do this. Opportunities present them times uh, at the strangest of times, um, and <clears throat> this seems to be a very broadly based movement. In fact, it's become global. Black Lives Matter has become a global movement in uh, every sense of the word, where people in other countries are having protests um, for the. Uh, what's the word? Exposure of racism, I guess, in order to expose racism in their own countries. Uh, they're having protests as well, and you know there there are um, marginalized people in every nation. Uh, my my suspicion, and I need to study this more, uh, is that. In America, because of the rule of law and because of the Constitution, uh, 
and because of uh, just too, too, too real a possibility of backlash and punishment, uh, genocide on a large scale, right? On a complete scale, I should say. The wiping out of, of black people did not happen. And I'm sure that there are people that wanted to do that, who wanted and still may want to kill every single black person in America, to rid America of black-skinned people. And then probably they wouldn't stop there. They would say of native people, of uh, Hispanic people, and of Asian people, that they want America to be white, right? And only white. Um, this has not happened on a complete scale, except I will say, uh, you could argue that it did happen for the native peoples in America. That that was a successful genocide. That they were massacred uh, and, and lots of other stuff, you know, herded. I, I hate to use that word, but, but I don't know what else you call it. The, the reservation system. They were herded onto these reservations, uh, which were usually land that was uh, undesirable to anyone. But they were forced to live on these on this land uh, in in abject poverty for hundreds of years. Um, the results have been catastrophic. This is not the only way that the that the peoples in the Americas were subject of genocide. There was a I suppose I would call it a, I don't know how to say this, but when, when the Spanish arrived and other people from Europe, they brought diseases. And some estimates are that these diseases that were brought from Europe, and mostly they were flu, small, smallpox, things like this, which did not exist in the Americas. Uh, so the, the native people had no immune, uh, what's the word, no resistance, right? Their immune systems uh, did not have uh, antibodies already in place to fight these diseases like, like Europeans did. So when these diseases landed on the shores, it killed up to 90% of the population of South, Central, and North America. 90%, up to 90%. Estimates, estimates, I think, are anywhere from close to 70% to 90%, but it was, it was probably 90%. So 90% of the population 500 years ago of North, Central, and South America is wiped out. And so the, those who remain are a remnant, a small remnant of who they once were. Uh, and they were uh, biological targets of European diseases. I don't believe for the most part that this was on purpose. Careless, yes. On purpose, I don't think so. However, there were isolated incidents where, uh, yes, blankets that had smallpox were 
given to certain Indians so that they would get sick and die. Uh, this did happen. Uh, so this is this is all the, all of this happened. Okay, all of this happened before basically North America began to be settled. So they were already wiped out by disease. Their gun, their governments became decentralized. They were wiped out by disease. And then, in this weakened state, white men show up in their country and are, and are, and are able to push them around. Uh, and at this point, they have better weapons, uh, better organizations, right? They're, they're more organized. And so they are able to exterminate, basically at will, the native people, the, the survivors, the remnant. So now, what we have today is a remnant of the remnant because those who survive today are just a remnant of a remnant I would say that's about as successful a genocide as as has ever happened uh, and those who remain this is what should happen to every remaining Native American Number one, they should be able to go to a land of their choosing. Doesn't matter if anybody owns it. They should be able to go to a land within their ancestral lands, wherever they want, and they should be able to live. And they should be given an acreage. And they should be giving a, given a stipend until a point at which they can uh, be able to live off that land or to get a job in the area, or whatever. This should happen for every single Native American family. This remnant of the remnant. And those people who are on that land, who own that land, uh, they should be given a land of comparable value in a place where uh, that is available. The government should foot the cost. This is reparations. This is what reparations looks like. This is what repentance looks like. This is what reconciliation will look like. Yes, Black Lives Matter, and right now I'm I'm not trying to to talk about the native peoples in America too much because I feel like they are going to benefit if Black Lives Matter is successful. The native people will also benefit and then it will be the right time and it's not fair it's not fair that that black lives matter goes first it's none of this is fair but my my gut feeling is that if if the native peoples can be patient just a little while longer and yes there's no reason you should be but if you are and black lives matter wins some kind of a reparations package then then it will be time for us to address the Native American population um, and it has to happen it has to happen now mind you I don't have a drop as far as my DNA test says of, of Native American blood. At one time I thought I was supposed to, but 
anyway, it doesn't doesn't come through in my DNA test. Um, so I don't, I, don't, I don't really have a horse in this race except to say uh, that I know a lot of Native Americans. I've lived uh, with Native Americans and I have Native Americans in my immediate family. My stepmother is full-blooded Navajo uh, and, and so I kind of am invested in the, in the community in a sense, uh, as well with Asians and as well with African Americans, I'm invested <laughs> about as deep as you can be and still be completely white in every one of those communities uh, with direct family relationships uh, in every in every case. <sighs> All lives matter. But all lives ma don't matter to everyone. They should, but they don't. And that's why Black Lives Matter is a pertinent cry. It's a cry from pain. It's a cry from suffering and frustration, and generational oppression. It's a soul cry. It's deeper than the heart. And I'm not talking about the political wing. I'm talking about the truth of the statement. So I believe in my heart of hearts that all African-American families deserve some kind of reparations. As do all Native Americans. This is something that must happen and must be done. Um, yeah, and there's no reason not to do it. You know, we're talking about a very small percentage of the entire country. We could cut the defense budget and make all this happen overnight. Overnight. <sighs> Sorry. I just don't get it. I don't understand why we wouldn't try to lift up people in our own community who are down. Why wouldn't we try? And I'll tell you why. It's very simple. It's very simple. Because we are not one nation under God. In God, we do not trust. We neither know God, nor do we follow God.
both of which are doable. We can know God beyond the shadow of a doubt by knowing His Son Jesus. He came in human form. A record was made of His coming and His going and all of His doings. His words, His thoughts, His feelings. What would Jesus do? Well, we know what Jesus would do. We have a record of what Jesus did. Therefore, we know what Jesus would do. We are not one nation under God. And we are not indivisible. And we do not believe in justice for all. Basically, the Pledge of Allegiance is a sham. The Pledge of Allegiance is a sham. I said it. Who pledges allegiance to a flag? What is a flag? I pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. We should be pledging our allegiance to Jesus, to the Christ, to the one who died for the entire world. One nation under God, indivisible, definitely not something we believe in. We believe in the Indian nations and the white nations and the black nations and the Asian nations. Right? We, we believe in dividing everybody up. The white neighborhoods and the black neighborhoods and the Indian reservations. Chinatown. Right? All we're doing is dividing up. We don't believe in one nation. If it were under God, it would be following Jesus. And Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And take care of the sick and the oppressed. Right? Free, free the, the enslaved. Take care of the widow and the orphan. We don't believe in doing anything under God. Liberty and justice for all? Yeah, sure. Liberty and justice for white people. That's what we believe. I'd like to know at what point the... Um, I don't know what to call it. I just said it. The uh, Pledge of Allegiance. I'd like to know at what point the Pledge of Allegiance entered into... Uh, our routines in America. Pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Oh, I wish that was true. If that were true, if we truly 
obeyed that, yeah, America could be a shining light on a hill. Could be. But if it ever was a shining light on a, light on a hill, it wouldn't be because of us. It would be because of Christ is able to work through us. It would be Christ in us. All right, I'm going to have to come down. i got to get in a good mood to go teach these kids. <laughs> so, man, we need a new Pledge of Allegiance, and it need, we need to pledge to something greater than, than a piece of cloth with uh, colors on it. Um, we need to, frankly, pledge allegiance to something greater uh, than a nation that was built on the backs and the blood of oppressed peoples. We need to pledge our allegiance to something that can deliver. Someone who can deliver. Can deliver liberty and justice for all. Uh, yeah, I'm going to come down off my high horse right now. And uh, calm down a little bit. So, yeah. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. Bye.